Welcome to the Koji Podcast, episode 5, where I'm going to start the first of 12 episodes or talks, on, and today is the overview of the spiritual life. I got these talks from the Brotherhood of St. Dismas, which I attend every week. Let's get into it. Overview of the spiritual life. The spiritual life as a relationship with God. The spiritual life is a relationship. And as with any relationship, there are two two parties. God and man. On the one hand, God calls us to to intimacy with him and moves us by the grace to seek him freely. We are the other half of the relationship. If we accept God's invitation to intimacy with him, we will find that he will transform us into new creatures. Scripture puts it this way. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. So, to simplify it, God, He give, he's giving us everything. And all we need to do on our part is really just accept it. Accept what he's giving to us. Like, allow him to transform us <clears throat> to become children of God. And that way, you know, uh, so yeah, that's the spiritual life. Every Catholic must realize this all important truth. It is the ultimate goal of our religion to be transformed as fully as possible into, Im- into the image of Christ, to become son- sons of God through grace, to become God-like beings and members of the family of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The health of any relationship is measured by the effort each party puts into it. But what does God put into this relationship? Really, he gives everything. He made us out of his goodness, redeemed us through the blood of his son, and he continues to seek us out in order to draw us close to him. What do we or should we bring to this relationship with God? We must bring a sincere desire to allow God to achieve in us through his grace that transformation which makes possible an intimate relationship, an intimate union with him. And so, we will examine the spiritual life from two aspects. The work of God through grace in the souls of men and our efforts to reach out to him in love by opening ourselves to the work of grace. <clears throat> so we have the easy part. We just have to accept God's grace. And we're going to learn what, God, what grace is. Shortly after this, um, yeah, God's giving us everything he made us and he continues to invite us to be with him, to join his mystical body. Okay, now the spiritual organism. First, we will consider God's part in the relationship, namely the work of grace in the human soul. The life of grace can be, pa- can be compared to the physical life of a bodily organism. It has a beginning in birth. It grows and it can die. The spiritual life begins with the rebirth of baptism. It is strengthened and nourished by the sacraments. As a body grows and is fed with food, it can be weakened and even killed through sin. 
just as the physical organism can sicken and die, against which disease God has given penance as the remedy. Finally, the life of grace, when it is healthy, brings forth the virtues which are its fruits, just as a healthy tree will bear healthy fruit. So yeah, the life of grace can be compared to the physical life, <clears throat> to our bodies. We can grow sick, you know, our souls can grow sick with sin. And the sacraments and the grace from the sacraments can help our body to grow and to be strengthened. And at one point, bring forth the fruit of virtue. Um, what is grace? The Catechism of the Catholic Church explains the nature and effects of this great and mysterious gift of grace. In the following manner. Okay, so Catechism of Catholic Church, paragraph nine, nineteen ninety six. <clears throat> Our justification comes from the grace of God. Grace is favor, the free and undeserved help that God gives us to respond to His call to become children of God, adoptive sons, partakers of the divine nature and of eternal life. So it's the, to put it simpler, grace is help from God. Undeserved help from God. And it's up to us to, to take that grace to use it. Uh, paragraph 1997. Grace is a participation in the life of God. It introduces us into the intimacy, into the intimacy of Trinitarian life. By baptism, the Christian participates in... In the grace of Christ, the head of his body, as an adopted son, he can henceforth call God Father. In union with the only Son, he receives the life of the Spirit, who breathes charity into him, and who forms the church. Paragraph 1998. This vocation to eternal life is supernatural. It depends entirely on God's gratuitous initiative. For he alone can reveal and give himself. It surpasses the hu the power of human intellect and will as that of every other creature. We're, we cannot understand fully the mysteries of God. It is up to us to depend on God. Up to us to allow God to, to work through us. And, you know, God is going to, he's going to do all that. But we also got to, you know, do our part. And because and, the way we accept it is by praying by going to Mass, taking our kids to Mass, praying the rosary every day, uh, you know, especially as a family, um, you know, doing those kind of things, you know, trying to uh, master the virtues, you know, stuff like that, you know, that that's the way we're going to be accepting God's grace, because it's not like we're going to be like, okay, I accepted it, where is His grace, I don't you know. It's not just by word, it's by action that we accept it. Um, we gotta show God that we truly love Him. We gotta, you know, just show Him that we really want this. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta act. Okay, paragraph 1999 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The grace of Christ is the gratuitous gift that God makes to us of His own life, infused by the Holy Spirit into our soul. To heal it of sin and to sanctify it. It is a sanctifying or deifying grace received in baptism. It is in us the source of the work of sanctification. Okay, no, uh, paragraph 2000. Sanctifying grace is an ab 
habitual act, a stable and supernatural disposition that perfects the soul itself to enable it to live with God, to act by His love, habitual grace, the permanent disposition to live and act in keeping with God's call, is distinguished from actual graces which refer to God's interventions, whether at the beginning of conversion or in the course of the work of sanctification. So I bet you grace is living in the state of grace, not committing mortal sins. Okay, well, a mortal sin, for those who don't know, a mortal sin, it must, be, it must have three things. It must be grave, so it must be a big sin. Not, not, not just like taking 10 cents, you know, stealing 10 cents from a person that doesn't really need it. You know, it must be grave sin like murder or abortion or uh, committing acts of homosexuality or impure acts. You know, there are many other grave sins. We know, we can tell. Okay, that's one of the conditions. The second condition is it must be committed with full knowledge of the sinful action and the gravity of the offense. We must know that it is... That is bad in the first place. That it's actually very grave. The sin is very grave. And the third condition is that it must be committed with deliberate and complete consent. So we, we not only is it grave, not only do we know that it's grave, we also do it. You know, we deliberately do it knowing that it's bad. We do a, a grave Sin, knowing that it's bad, and with our full and complete consent, nothing is forcing us. We are allowing ourselves to do this. So, yeah, if that's what, habitual grace is, you know, living in the state of grace, we don't commit a mortal sin. And because a mortal sin takes us out of that grace of God. Um, and... Actual grace is the, the graces that God gives to us, inter, you know, when he intervenes in our lives, you know, through our lives to help us, be, uh, strengthen us or to encourage us and, you know, to do his work that he calls us to. The sacraments, channels of grace. How do we obtain this gift of God called grace that, that saves us and makes us holy? God has given us the sacraments as the channels through which grace reaches us. Baptism. The first sacrament we receive is the introduction into the life of grace. This is why Christ calls baptism a rebirth. Because through baptism we are initiated into the divine life of, gra of grace. And we receive into our souls the Holy Spirit whose presence heals us from sin and purifies us. In addition to a baptism, Christ has given the other sacraments, each of which, even each of which, gives an increase in the divine life of grace. Confirmation strengthens the divine life in our souls by giving us the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Eucharist nourishes our souls with the very body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. Confession or penance, as well as of the anointing of the sick, are the medicine which heals the wound of sin that afflicts the life of grace okay and so the christian life is essentially sacramental sin since it is through the sacraments that god guarantees us a constant source of grace so 
So we must strive to fulfill all the obligations of Christian life. Uh, for example, daily prayer, Mass on Sundays, and days of obligation, regular confession. I suggest uh, at least once a week for confession, especially in our day and age where the sin is so prevalent and so easy to commit. And grave sins, too. Uh, fasting and abstinence. And marriage according to the commandment of the church. Again, this is because the sacraments are the ordinary means of growing in holiness. Granting us every time we receive them worthily and increase in divine grace. Without the sacraments, it is impossible for us to make progress in the spiritual life. We need to really get that in our heads. That's why when all this... When this you know, pandemic happened or whatever, and all these churches were closing, we, you know, we really need to, um, understand how important the sacraments are for us. It says right here, without the sacraments, it is impossible for us to make progress in the spiritual life. People have been gone, I mean, haven't had any of the sacraments for 10 months, 12 months. These were Catholics that were going to Mass every Sunday. Now, you know, before this pandemic, it was 20% of Catholics coming to Mass. Now it's 7%. 7%. Just because of this COVID thing. Yeah, we just got to remember that, you know, the sacraments are the channels of grace. These are the things that are going to help us to persevere in the in the Catholic life. In short, the spiritual life is made possible by the gift of grace. A participation in God's very life, which makes us holy. Temples of the Holy Spirit and sons of God. The spiritual life is thus a life of grace. And thus principal meaning of acquiring grace and increasing it is the sacraments. And, and the principal means of acquiring grace and increasing it is the sacraments. Okay. Is thus a life of grace. The spiritual life is thus a life of grace. And the spirits and the principal means of acquiring acquiring grace and increasing it is the sacraments. So yeah, the only way to increase in, increase in grace, which is the spiritual life, the spiritual life is the life of grace. So if we want to get forward in the spiritual life, it's through the sacraments. Through the sacraments, don't don't trade the sacraments in for your. For your bodily health. You know. It's better to die for your faith. Than to. Be locked up in your basement. basement, Starved of the sacraments. And of God. And of grace. It's better to die for God. Than to be. Than to be starved of. Than to be starved of him. Just be starved of grace. Okay, now we're going to go into the three stages of the spiritual life. We turn now to consider our role in the spiritual life. That is, what we bring to our relationship with God, and how we experience the effects of that relationship in our souls. The art of the spiritual life is not limited to receiving the sacraments. God gives us His, his grace like the Master in the parable of the talents. Matthew 25, uh, verses four, verse 14. God expects us to conserve and increase his gift through our cooperation we do so by struggling manfully against sin which robs 
as of the life of grace. We do so by struggling manfully against sin. So we're gonna, we have to struggle by struggle against sin because sin robs us of the life of grace. And by practicing persistently the the virtues which merit for us an increase in grace. So it's through the, the sacraments and the virtues, and by practicing the virtues that we merit grace. Because when we practice the virtues, we're avoiding sin. We're struggling against sin. Because when we struggle against sin, we practice virtue opposite to that sin. So if we're struggling with impurity or, you know, or we're struggling with lust, then when we try to control that by having custody of the eyes, we turn away, we practice that that virtue, or, or we try to distract ourselves with that thought. We're practicing the virtue of purity. Or we're practicing that, that virtue, the virtue opposite to the sin. And we gain grace. We merit grace through that. The following conferences would deal, deal directly with those with these with those topics. Here we will discuss the stages of growth through which the Christian can expect the to pass through on his journey to union with God. Can expect to pass through on his journey to union with God. Okay. The tradition of Catholic spiritual theology recognizes three basic stages in the spiritual life: the purgative the illuminative, and the unitive way. These stages are not exclusive or absolute, but lead gradually from one to the other and may overlap. It must be borne in mind as well that although we are discussing in this section our efforts in the spiritual life, in reality, it is always God, who, through His grace, working in our will and intellect, moves us to make whatever spiritual progress we may achieve. Hence, the journey of each individual through the stages of the spiritual life is ultimate, de ultimately determined by the will of God. He brings some along quickly to great spiritual per perfection, while others he tests, allowing them to struggle bravely for a long time in the first stage of beginners. What is of most importance th then is not to gouge our spiritual progress since that can, be, that can easily be misleading, but rather to persevere no matter how slow our development mis may seem. So yeah, it's ultimately up to God how far we get into the spiritual life, how fast we progress. Because it says right, like right here, God gives some people the... He allows them to to progress in the spiritual life much fa much faster. Because maybe he needs... He, he wants to use that person for a very, you know, a very um, important job. And who needs that grace to be able to you know, fulfill that job that God is calling him to. Okay, the purgative way is the way of the beginners. That is, those who may, who have begun to take seriously the spiritual life and are trying to live in grace. So we're not talking about people who are just, who just call themselves Catholic, like just lukewarm Catholics. They call themselves Catholic, but you know, they can miss a day or, you know, they can miss a Sunday or whatever. No, we're talking about Catholics who are actually starting to, to live their life seriously and, in, you know, are, tr are trying to live in the state of grace. However, they have not yet learned to control their passions and sinful inclinations. And so, continu continue to struggle to resist temptation. The main concern of the beginners is to learn to overcome sin 
and to train themselves to exercise the virtues. Beginners need to strengthen their will by meditating frequently on the harmful consequences of sin and on death, judgment, hell, and heaven. So the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. They must also practice bodily and spiritual penance, such as fasting, sacrificing leisure time for prayer, denying their own desires and preferences, and especially by accepting the will of God in all things. Um, and when it says meditating, it doesn't mean like the Buddhists where it's like, um, you know, they do crisscross applesauce and everything, and they try to become one with the earth and the universe. No, we're talking about literally just thinking upon holy things, thinking about, um, you know, things that will lead, that lead to God, things of God. And one of one of those things that we need to especially, you know, meditate on when we're in the in the beginning stage, the purgative way, is the four last things. Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And to be honest, the majority of people are in the purgative way, me included. It's hard. It's very hard. To, you know, to stay on that right path. So, yeah, one of the things that I like to, to meditate a lot on, you know, it's been, it's actually hard, very hard for me to meditate lately, but, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying more. Um, it's death, judgment, heaven, and hell. It helps us to realize that we're all going to die one day. And, to, and that it gives us a, gives me a moment to reflect on what I've been doing on my, you know, with my life and what I could do better. And, well, yeah, just focus, uh, if you're in the purgative way, which, like I said, the majority of us are in the beginning stages, then just focus on, meditate on the on death, judgment, heaven, and hell, the four last things. Very important. The stage is called purgative because of folk, because in it the beginner focuses his efforts on purging himself of his weaknesses and sinful inclinations. The virtue most necessary and characteristic of this stage is humility, since humility allows one to see his sins and weaknesses as they truly are, without justifying himself. The next stage is the illuminative way. Those who are in this state have learned how to control their passions to a greater extent than the beginners, and are now able to resist mortal sin more vigorously and remain in the state of grace. This does not mean this does not mean that those in the illuminative way will not still have to suffer violent attacks of temptation. Temptations may even be more severe than before. So it gets harder. You get you you um or even or tempted even more severely in this stage. They may come in form of tempta of temptations against faith, hope, and charity, and persecutions of from friends and loved ones, as Satan does all he can to discourage those who are escaping his power. Power. So instead of attacking you in, in the flesh, since uh in the purgative way you're you're trying to learn to control your passions and desires. And in, when you reach the illuminative way, since you've already con uh, 
you know, tamed those passions and desires, you already have them in control. The devil attacks you in a different way. He tempts you against faith, hope, and charity, and persecutions from friends and loved ones. So we're going to feel... Uh, I mean, now it's just... Everybody's feeling persecutions from friends and loved ones, If especially even if you just, you know, support Trump, or you're against abortion, or you, you know, you... Just recognize that homosexuality is wrong and, you know, they're going to call your friends and family are going to call you homophobic. They're going to call you racist for, you know, supporting Trump. They're going to call you, you know, so many things just because you're stand up for the truth. But in this stage, especially, you're going to feel persecutions from friends and loved ones. The soul in the stage must keep in mind that all afflictions are for his good and that it is through suffering and temptation that he will grow and be purified from attachment to sin. Here are the words of, of Christ to St. Rosalima. We cannot obtain grace unless we suffer afflictions. We must heap trouble upon trouble to attain a deep participation in the divine nature. The glory of the sons of God and perfect happiness of soul. Since their war with sin is now being won, the efforts of those in the illuminative way can be focused on making more progress on the virtues. And as the soul becomes more experienced in the practice of virtue, it also becomes increasingly enlightened in spiritual matters, for which reason this stage is known as illuminative. What distinguished this stage from the pre previous stage is that in the illuminative way, the soul is more occupied now with making progress in the spiritual life and more de dedicated to prayer and the practice of virtue. The importance, the, it is important to maintain this focus since the hearts and minds of those in, in, in the illuminative way are not yet completely detached from the pleasure of earthly things. And so they are frequently distracted from the things of God. And still tend to fall into venial sin. So now venial sin becomes a problem for them. You know, in the purgative way, venial sin seems like a small thing now. But I heard this expression from a priest. I mean, this, I guess, analogy from a priest that the reason why, like, saints like St. Francis of Assisi or many other great saints. That, you know, they saw themselves so unholy. Or St. John Vianney. They see themselves as unholy and even fear going to hell. Even after all the the holy things they've done. It's because they can see the reality of sin. We become desensitized. In the pur purgative way, which, like I said, most of us are in. We're just looking at those mortal sins, you know. Those mortal sins, we could see them more, but... He said it's like in like in if you see a window, if you're in a room and there's a window, the grace of God is the sun coming into the window, but your sin is like the the blinds or the curtains, and they're and with mortal sin it's closed tight, right? But once you you know overcome those mortal sins, it opens right. The curtain you open the curtains. And the sun can now come through the 
let the grace of God come through. But now, once you open those curtains, you can see the little grains of dust floating in the air. And those are the venial sins. That's what the saints can see. The people in the in the illuminative way, you know, they can see those little things. And because you got to realize that sin is very, very bad. You know, it's very offensive to God. It's not a small matter. And it's those saints that can see, you know, the reality, the reality of sin and what it does to the soul. And th this is, and so right now you, you probably think, ah, Venus sins are not the, you know, are not that bad. It's the mortal sins, which is true. Mortal sins are way worse and completely blocks out the relationship with you and God. You know, it makes you almost an enemy of God, really, when when you commit a mortal sin. And, you know, it's through the, pe the sacrament of confession that, you know, we're reunited with God. And and we just got to see it through that way. That, you know, this is what they're going through, the people in the illuminative way. Continue. Whereas in the previous stages, the beginner was encouraged to meditate on the consequences of sin and on the last things, judgment, the four last things, judgment, he death, heaven, and hell. Now he is encouraged to practice constant recollection. That is to be mindful at all times of God's presence, raising his heart to God in acts of love and doing all with the intention of pleasing him. He would also do all he can to avoid unnecessary distraction, seeking rather quiet and solitude, which favor his union with God. So instead of, like, you know, I'm pretty much just repeating, instead of, uh, like in the purgative way, I, we, we were encouraging you to, encouraging you to meditate on the on sin and the consequences of sin and the four last things now we're uh we encourage you to practice constant recollection to to always be mindful that God is always present and raise your your hearts to God in acts of love and doing everything with the intention of pleasing God and to avoid unnecessary distraction, so that we may be more united with God. Now, the unitive way. The final stage of spiritual de development is the way of the perfect. In this stage, the soul has become detached from the things of the world and from the passions of man's lower nature. For this reason, the, the soul enjoys union with God with undistracted, and t undistracted attention and peace. Those in the unitive way are focused on furthering their union with God by frequently renewing acts of charity and making the love of God the motive for all they do in life. They no longer seek delight or pleasure in prayer, nor do they become saddened in the lack of feelings of devotion. They have come to learn that everything in life, suffering and sacrifice included, is to be accepted with love for God. As St. Paul says, We know that to them that love God, all things work together unto God, to such as, according to His purpose, all called to be saints are called to be saints. As with the illuminative way, however, this advancement in perfection does not mean that the soul no longer experiences temptation. Rather, because of their greater love for God, those in the unitive way, they feel more keenly to lack of consolation in prayer, 
and the desire to possess God perfectly. Okay, so, which becomes a becomes for them a consuming thirst. However, these souls are able to endure all these trials with peace for love of God. Some they feel like an overwhelming lack of consolation from God. Um, usually, God gives us consolations in the beginning of our spiritual life to help, you know, strengthen us and boost us. <coughs> to, I guess, encourage us to, you know, to advance in the spiritual life. It is to those in this stage already perfected in their love of Him by much effort and many trials that God most often chooses to display those mystical gifts and phenomena of which we often read in the lives of the saints, such as visions, ecstasies, and locutions. Although God is free to grant these to those in lower stages as He sometimes does, nevertheless, it, it would be a great mistake to pursue spiritual perfection only in the hope of, of experiencing those phenomena. We must always keep in mind that the object of the spiritual life is to love God and Himself, and not to seek Him merely for the gifts He has to give. To advance in the spiritual life is not to seek His gifts, but rather to seek Him, to love God for Him, for Himself. Consolations and desolations. This is a very important topic, you know, Happens to so many Catholics, you know, the desolations. In any overview of the spiritual life, it is necessary to address the subject of consolations and desolations, since they play a very big part in the experience of all Christians, especially beginners. Consolations are simply those feelings of devotion and fervor, and desolation, the feeling of the absence of God or His grace in our souls, with which we are all familiar. Consolations can be felt in our physical senses as when we feel inspiration or joy in prayer or spiritual reading. They can also be felt as a pleasure or ease in keeping the commandments of God and performing good and virtuous works. The highest form of consolations are felt usually by those in the unitive way and consists of a deep peace and happiness flowing from one's love of God and the desire to serve Him alone. <clears throat> Desolations are the opposite of the constellations we have described. They may come as a lack of sensible devotion, distractions, and boredom and prayer. Again, they may be experienced as the absence of the virtues in one's soul. So, especially of faith, hope, and charity towards God. Finally, the worst forms of desolations are those which afflict the mind, leading one to feel abandoned by God without hope of salvation, and even tempting one to doubt the faith the faith, or to blaspheme. The first and foremost important point to remember is that both constellations and desolations are in themselves neither good nor bad. They are feelings. And as such are as much about our perceptions as they are about objective reality. Hence, Consolations and desolations may in fact be misleading, and many are distracted from progress in the spiritual life by placing too much importance on them, by taking their eyes as if it were as it were from the goal which is always to seek God and Him alone, not the consolations. What should our attitude to our consolations and desolations be? We should accept them both as coming from the hand of God, who sometimes sometimes encourages us to seek Him more by touches of sweetness and joy, and at other times tests our resolve and dedication to us by taking 
that joy away, reminding us in those moments of, of dryness that we are seeking the God of consolations, not the consolations of God. In this sense, consolations are important because they provide us with much needed incentives, incentive to continue or make to continue to make progress in the spiritual life, especially in the early stages when our love for God is weak. Likewise, desolations are necessary to purify our love for God from self-seeking. They are therefore <clears throat> necessary if we are to persevere and mature in friendship with God. The, da the danger to be avoided is allowing ourselves to become so addicted to the sweetness of the spiritual life that we forget God, and on the other hand, becoming so overwhelmed by the pain of desolations that we give up the spiritual life together. Because it happens, you know, a lot of the people are looking so much for that that consolation. They're focusing so much um, on how they feel that they're not advancing the spiritual life they're really they're really um trying to advance in the spiritual life just for themselves they they just want to feel good <clears throat> but really to advance in the spiritual life is for god like i said right here it's you know, this is a something that stood out to me is that we must we must seek the god of consolation not the consolations of god to be honest, i mean the Demons, they can tamper with how we feel. They can make us feel good about doing bad things. They can make us feel good about doing certain, you know, certain things. Or even feel good about doing, you know, the devil could just mislead us by our feelings. Um, and God gives us the desolation so that we, you know, prove to God, you know, we purify, we purify ourselves selfishness. And we become more selfless. And we do this more for God. You know, we do it all for God. To summarize this, we have seen that the Christian spiritual life is a matter of our answering the invitation of God. To form an intimate relationship with Him. This relationship is made possible by His gift of grace. Which lifts up to His level. And allows us to communicate with Him as sons with our Father. Grace comes to us through the sacraments, which gives us new life, baptism. Strengthen that life and cause it to grow, confirmation, holy communion. And heal it when it is damaged or lost through confession or anointing of the sick. This Christian spiritual life is thus always a sacramental one. It is always sacramental. On our part, we seek to increase the life of grace in us by our practice of good works, prayer, penance, and the virtues. Moreover, we are we struggle to protect ourselves from the attacks of sin, which would destroy our progress. As we persevere in these spiritual activities, we find that God leads us gradually through the stages of increasing spiritual perfection towards complete union with Him and detachment from the world. Along the way, we must be wary, wary of becoming distracted by the consolations God offers us, or falling into despair on account of desolations. We must keep in mind always the goal of our efforts to love and to serve God alone. Okay. There's some questions for review. Five questions. I'm not sure if I'm going to answer them here or if I should. You know, yeah, I'm going to do this. Okay. These are questions for review. I want you to answer them in the comments. Number one, in what sense is a spiritual life? So, yeah, 
What is the role of grace in the spiritual life and how do we receive it? Number three, how do we participate in our spiritual in our relationship with God? Number four, what are the stages of the spiritual life? And number five, what is the importance of consolations and desolations in the spiritual life? Now, all these answers to these questions you can find in this podcast. I mean, if you're a good listener and, you know, th- these questions will help you to sort of remember all that we've learned in this in this episode. So just try to answer them all to the best of your ability. I might put them on these questions on Instagram, on my story. Um, that's all for today. Um, I, we're going to go into the next topic next week, next Saturday when I upload it. Uh, we're going to go in. So this was one of 12 talks. We're going to go to the second talk next week. Remember our goal, which is to love and serve God alone. Please like, share, and subscribe. Please comment on the video. for the. Uh, please try to answer these questions. Thank you for watching. See you next time. If you like this episode and want to see our beautiful, handsome faces, then go to our YouTube channel, Koji Fruits, where you can see us in HD perfection. See you next time.